0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 8, Episode 17. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Today is Thursday, June, June 15th, as of the recording of this episode. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today by Matthew Marister. Hello, hello. What's up, man? I'm just glad to be here, glad to be (laughs) home, and glad to be doing a podcast today. Not on fire. True, because a week (laughs) ago yesterday, uh, those of you that, you know, don't know, I guess, or didn't see online where I posted on my social media and stuff, I traveling to while well, traveling to Texas uh, my car caught on fire and burned to the ground <laughs> it was not a good day and uh, yeah I lost some stuff in that fire besides the car but for the most part came out unscathed and had my shooting stuff and my holster and most of most of my gear there's a few things that I'm kind of sad I, I lost but uh, I'm here and we're doing a podcast so I'm thankful for that. So, thank you everybody uh, for being here as well with us while we record this. Those of you that are joining us live, and if you're not joining us live, uh, we still appreciate you nonetheless. As without listeners, well, there would be no point in doing this. Today's episode is sponsored by LASR, that is the Laser Active Shot Reporter System, and also Barrel Block. And we'll uh, read some sponsor messages to you a little bit later on our, those episode sponsors today. But we're going to jump right into today's content, uh, which today we're going to be discussing the concept of shooting hardcover and partial targets. I think this is an interesting one uh, to focus on for, uh, for an episode and is actually influenced or inspired by the recent, the most recent Shoot Array Challenge video on ShootArrayChallenge.com that you can go and review which is titled uh, Hardcover Targets, uh, which the whole idea there is uh, in the dry fire video, I use a series of targets with hardcover zones on them. This is uh, something that's pretty common in USPSA competitive shooting, a little bit in IDPA as well, uh, where a part of the target area is painted black, and it basically just means any rounds put into that black portion of the target uh, don't count. There's no penalty, so you can shoot the hardcover portion as many times as you want, but every time you shoot it, you're not scoring a hit in the actual target area. So uh, that's kind of, that was the focus of the Shooter Challenge video is shooting these hardcover targets of a variety of configurations, and we got published up on the free targets page on the concealedcarry.com website. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash free. Uh, print targets to see those and download them and print them off and use them along with all the other free targets that we have available. The uh, USPSA targets that are on that page are more of a dry fire purpose, although you certainly could use them in live fire if you wanted to, whereas a lot of the other targets on there could also be used in dry fire but are also intended for live fire use. But in today's episode, we're not just going to talk about hardcover targets, uh, which by the way, they rep- they could represent a hardcover target could represent uh, a threat target in the real world uh, that's partially exposed, you know, behind some kind of true cover. Uh, could be, uh, you know, a concrete barrier, a column. Uh, could be some kind of you know metal object or whatever, a tree, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, again, any rounds into the cover aren't going to necessarily penalize you in most cases. But you're not hitting the target, right? We're also going to explore today and discuss uh, concepts with shooting partial targets that maybe aren't necessarily partially obscured by cover, but in by uh, no shoot, by no shoot targets. Uh, again, this tends to be something very popular or common in competitive shooting, where we put uh, usually here in the United States when we do. Uh, practical pistol comp- competition will have just your natural cardboard, you know, brown side of a target that is the side that we usually shoot. And usually the back side of those will be painted or colored in white. Uh, and the white is often used as a no shoot, just so that there's an obvious difference between the two. In IDPA, they use all brown cardboard, natural cardboard colored targets, uh, but they paint black hands uh, on the target to indicate. That It's, a, you know, like hands up kind of thing, like, oh, I'm an innocent, I'm, you know, don't shoot me. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, a couple of uh, ways that that's handled there. But Matthew and I, in discussing today's topic, uh, we were talking about, you know, not just partial targets of all types, but also, you know, just, just talking about, Uh, You know, knowing what your target is, the limitations of that target, what's in front of that target, what's obscuring that target, what's behind that target or beyond that target, um, and discussing concepts of targets of varying difficulty, but also risk or consequences, you know, involved in shooting a target. And that's one thing that whether you are a competitive shooter or not, uh, that's kind of cool that we do in the practical pistol sports, where when you use a no-shoot target, suddenly the risk of missing your intended target is a lot higher, and that's not a bad thing. It teaches you to be a bit more careful, and that's something that it carries over into the real world as well. So anyway, that's a little bit of an introduction of our topic today, so I'm tossing it over to you, Matthew. Uh, I imagine you watched the shoot rate Challenge video. And so, we're you know, what was your what's your take on it? You know, from an introductory perspective, and where do you want to go from here?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple ways we could cover it, but I I think maybe um, I'll just it, it makes sense I think to kind of address the the competitive aspect of, of like the targets because it does kind of you know at least what what you're showing the targets and stuff in the shooter ready challenge video is. You know, they are like how how a competitor would see the target, and then maybe take those principles and apply it, and say like, how can we apply that practically in a defensive shooting or defensive context? And um, I think you know, just o- overview of the of of the the video in general um, is that like you know, there, there's these just like any other dry fire, uh, challenge, you know, we're using the shot recording software. You have a firearm, uh, that's, it has, you know, you're using a cool fire trainer in this one that, and and so you can get multiple shots and it's, uh, has a laser, you know, uh, attachment that emits a laser pulse. So they can pick up individual shots and record them. And you have various targets up there with various different cover, uh, hard cover marked off, um, And you go through and and show how to use these in dry fire. And I think it's important, you, you know, because it's always about trying to make dry fire, not only purposeful, but fresh and challenging. And if you're doing the same thing over and over, sure, you can get benefit from it. But like, if you can, if you can incorporate different things and it might not seem like a big deal, Um, to just say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to cover off a quarter of this target or three quarters or whatever. But it, it, I hope by the end of this, you'll see, you know, or you'll hear or realize that there is a lot of value to doing this and, um, in the simplicity of it, in, in, in addition to you incorporating movement in that, even though it's just, you know, uh, you know, a step to the side or a, a few steps, um, I I think this will all come together towards the end where it's like, wow, this is something that I should be doing. It's not something that, you know, I'm just trying to fill in this some time, and it's, it's, you know, just something to make a new video. It's, it's purposeful and there's a lot that you can get out of it. I don't know if that kind of sets it up, but
0: yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. You know, I started with just putting up those targets with different configurations of hardcover on them. Uh, And then just, you know, trying to be creative and think of different ways of approaching that and shooting them. Uh, yeah. A little bit of movement involved, um, positional changes, etc. So, you know, the interesting thing about that, and you, you touched on this a little bit as we were uh, kind of doing our little episode prep um, is how when it primarily in the, in the real world, um I always, kind of say that some somewhat jokingly because sometimes it's hard to even know exactly what real world actually is um since uh anyway but uh you know if we're dealing with live human threats for instance and if cover or concealment is involved um changing your position can influence you know the amount of exposure of that uh You know, that target. Same is true for us, of course. You know, obviously, we could talk about the use of cover uh, for us and how important that is. But uh, we're kind of taking the flip side of this today and talking about shooting targets that are partially, you know, only partially exposed targets that are behind cover. So, Anyway, that's kind of where it started, and, and uh, I think adding in the a little bit of the movement piece and things just mixes it up, keeps it interesting, but also creates additional challenges and further builds additional skill in other way in other areas. Uh, so, let's, uh, you know, for those that, that maybe not be familiar, um, I, I touched on it in the beginning portion of the episode, but let's just touch base a little bit or or give you a little bit of an of an overview of how this works in the competitive environment with respect to shooting hard cover targets Um, just so there's nobody that has any questions out there. So again, a hard cover target is they're often referred to as is a target that has a a part of its target area. Um, And quite literally, we, we typically put a strip of black tape across it, across where we want to create a border. And then you end up painting with, literally black spray paint the rest of that target to create that uh, hard cover target zone. And so then, so that's how they're, they're created. You see some that have where, you know, the right side is, uh, is, is hard cover. So it basically leaves your A zone intact, but everything to the one side is covered. You could have the opposite side of that, of course. You can have both of the sides obscured where you're basically left with just the middle A zone And so it's not very forgiving, right? Because any deviation left or right on that target is going to put a bullet in the hard cover instead of where you want. Uh, You can have, you know, various uh, percentages or amounts of the bottom of the target uh, hard cover, meaning you could have that come up just to the bottom of the A zone. You could have it come up a third of the way, a half of the way, you know, two thirds of the way through the A zone from the bottom, just, you know, making that actual target area uh, more and more difficult and another common configuration is uh, what they uh, uh, often refer to as a slasher where kind of a diagonal portion of it is uh, obscured and or made and turned into hardcover and that actually is not a bad uh, way of you know looking at um, what a you know, obviously it's a very simplistic representation, but that's kind of what you would perceive when dealing with a human threat that is, you know, only just port, you know, uh, partially, you know, peeking around the side of a wall or something like that, right? Where you kind of see more of a diagonal uh, exposure of their body, right? And so those slashers actually, I think actually make a lot of sense. So anyway, those are some of the different uh, hardcover options that exist in terms of target configurations. There are some others probably too, but those are some of the more, more common or popular ones. So when shooting those, um, it, my, my thought process, Matthew, is that I don't try to think very much in terms of, well, you know, this target is, um, I try to avoid, you know, thinking that it's more difficult, for instance. Like mentally, you know, I just think, it. you know, a target's just a target, is a target. Um, When we obscure part of the target, it just reduces my available hit area. Well, that's not all that different than I could take whatever that available hit area is and produce the equivalent of that with a full-size target that's just moved back further away, right? And now... It's it, in a way, it's kind of almost the same thing. Just it's as if I'm shooting a target that's the same target, but just further, um, minus the hardcover piece, you know. And so, I think where possible, it's always a good approach, and it's wise to uh, to think about target engagements more purely from a well, what is my actual target area that's available to me, you know, and that relative size to my gun and my sights, and how much deviation in those sites or in my dot is acceptable to get a good hit or not. Now, the one thing that we can recognize with a hardcover is that it is forgiving in that a miss into the hardcover doesn't come with a penalty other than the time it cost for me to now make that up, which you should do. Um, but there's not. You know, it's not like uh, I didn't hit an innocent person, you know, so it's like, okay, I hit this, you know, the equivalent of a concrete, you know, pillar or whatever. Oh, all right, you know, no no harm, no foul there, right? So there's no penalty for hitting the hard cover. So the risk is, or the liability, if you will, is not super high. Um, it just means that I made my job more difficult in that now I require more shots than what I would have otherwise required to get the job done meaning hit the target the number of times i need to hit it to put the target out of commission and so um, again i don't i don't really think very hard about oh my goodness like when you see those those targets where you have some people call them tuxedos um, cuz they kind of look similar to uh, you know a, a gentleman wearing a tuxedo um, white shirt down the middle, black coat, you know, on the sides, and um, you know that they don't give you a lot of forgiveness as far as you know. You just have a zone, pretty much. I mean, you can you have maybe a Charlie or Delta below or above, but but it's you know mostly it's just a zone. Um, but again, the risk is not that high, so so you just you know, all right, well, my t- my available target area is reduced now that uh, Tuxedo target at seven yards is kind of like I'm shooting a full scale target at 20 yards or whatever you know um so you know you're not going to be blasting it away you know at it like you would if it was just a wide open target you know at 7 yards and so it's going to be a little bit more careful uh where you are going to use a different if you go back to actually two episodes ago I did a podcast episode with Charlie Perez we talked about Uh, different aiming strategies or aiming schemes. And we touched on a lot of this then too. Um, your, Your aiming scheme or aiming solution is going to be different on that tuxedo target at seven yards than a wide open target at seven yards. But the level of anxiety shouldn't be all that different because again, the liability of a miss or the risk associated with a miss is not that high. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and as you were talking about, you know, I think it'd be important, at least my mind went to this. So like we're talking about hardcover targets and and somebody might say, well, what, what is hardcover? And you kind of mentioned like early on that hardcover would be something that bullets can't penetrate or ballistically would provide you some protection ballistically. Um, But as you were talking, I'm thinking, okay, so practically speaking, we know that sometimes even concealment works psychologically as covered, right? Like we've seen videos where somebody ducks behind, you know, in a convenience store behind a, 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 you know, a chip aisle display and the person's trying to shoot over top or around Mm -hmm. when they could shoot through it. So we're for hardcover, like you if if a threat a pro you know if I was posed with a, a a threat in real life and they duck behind concrete I'm not going to blast through the concrete but psycho or, or or I have to understand the difference between hardcover and concealment or maybe something that's not hardcover might offer some ballistic protection because let's say it's inside your home and you have everybody inside your home accounted for, And somebody ducks out behind a hollow core door and they're shooting at you from behind a hollow core door. Well, I'm, if they're only, you know, a a four inch by four inch spot is my, what I see of this person, but I can track, I can visualize their body behind that door. You better believe I'm shooting rounds right through that door, center mass at that person. I mean, I'm I'm not going to try to take this tiny little shot. I'm going to shoot at the the bulk of their body where I can see it. I, I can't see through the door. Correct. But, and, and I'm not advising anybody to blast through at things that they can't see. But if I see a partial of this guy sticking around a hollow core door, and I know my rounds are going to go right through that door. So uh, as you were saying this, I'm thinking like, yeah, there is hard target or hard cover that we certainly don't, it, it, we don't want to waste rounds in deflections and stuff in real world. Yeah. We, we can't, but like there might be an instance we don't want to get sucked in the idea that like I have to shoot over the chip aisle bag at this guy or I can't shoot through the car window at somebody I have to you know shoot over top because that's psychologically what we see play out in in a lot of videos so it just popped in my head while you're going through that but yeah I don't know
0: yeah no I mean uh, you're exactly right I mean we have talked about that a number of times and it is uh, such a psychological phenomenon that exists where people who clearly could shoot through concealment, you know, of a, an an object concealment or a concealment object. There we go. Uh, don't. Um, but uh, yeah, does there are there are instances, of course, there are, um, but not as common as people, you know, running and ducking around. Store shelves in a you know supermarket or in a gas station or whatever. So yeah, it's good stuff. So um, we've we've addressed you know we talked about hardcover targets right and again, shooting a hardcover target it's just reduced exposure, reduced target area, just requires a little bit more careful aiming. Um, we shouldn't get overly concerned or overly anxious about that. Just give it the requisite amount of aiming confirmation that's required and shoot the shots. Um, And you can be a little bit more aggressive in terms of, you know, the speed at which you do that than you would be if, say, those partially exposed targets had no shoots on top of them instead of just hardcover. And so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um, partial targets that have a higher degree of, of liability or higher risk associated with them. Uh, that's something that we see both in the competitive games, but also in the real world. And so um, in USPSA, we, as I mentioned earlier, we often see the flip side of the USPSA target, which is white in color, used to represent a no-shoot target. So it's flipped around. It's usually placed on top of the target. Although occasionally we see that white no-shoot target placed in front as if you know as if it's its own instead of being attached to the target that it is obscuring it's a, a no shoot target that's on its own target stand some number of feet be, you know in front of your target to where and those ones are really interesting because the the angles are going to change based on your positioning right when i have a no shoot target where it's placed directly on top of my intended target, my shoot target, uh, the you know the angles don't really change much. Um, the angle that itself of the targets may you know change and make the target appear smaller or bigger depending on how directly you're facing it or not facing it. But the uh, but the the re- the relationship between the no shoot and the shoot target don't. Don't change that much unless that no shoot has some amount of space separating it from the shoot target. And so last week at the Area 4 Championship in Texas that I shot, uh, they, they did a really interesting thing where most of the no shoot targets that I recall were, you know, stood off, you know, from where the target. Uh, so there was space between them. And that meant that positioning and angles were super important, uh, more so than what we typically see at a USPSA match. I thought that was really great. I, I, I actually really enjoyed the challenge because uh, it meant that you could take a, an extra step or two or three and change your angle entirely to where your shots on a particular target were easy. Because now that you you expose more of the target you're trying to shoot, made it so much easier. Or you could save a little bit of time in the form of steps that you don't take and choose to take a little bit more difficult, actually sometimes a lot more difficult shot. Um, It'd be interesting to see how you would approach that in, say, quote, the real world, because when there truly is a severe penalty associated with hitting a no-shoot target, an innocent, um, you probably want to take action, take steps, sometimes literal steps to position yourself so that you make the so that you reduce the risk of hitting a no shoot person or target uh, substantially, right? Even if it costs you a little bit of time that, that likely sound that sounds like a, a wise thing. But there's probably also going to be times too where a shot just has to be made. It could be also an, a, a true hostage type situation. Uh, I'm reminded of the one that uh, happened here in Denver a few years back, and there's a video out that's been shared quite a bit. In that case, I think it was an actual sniper or at least an officer with a AR, with, with a rifle of some kind that took the shot. But it was, you know, a gentleman that actually had, um, I think it was a gun, yeah, to the head of uh, an employee of a store. And he made his way out through the front door. They, you know, talked him out. And uh, when they felt like they, had, you know, they didn't feel like he was going to give himself up, and when they had the shot, they took it, right? And that was a true hostage situation because the hostage is right there against um, against the uh, the shoot target, the threat target. In this case, pretty interesting example. You can tell when watching that that you know they they made sure that they had you know waited for the right time, the right exposure, so that as that person, as that perpetrator, turned slightly you know they had a good shot and reduce the risk with the, associated with the with the uh, innocent party in that instance but so um shooting partial targets that have no shoots involved is not any different in terms of the you know what you have to see um you know it's the, the strategy is much the same as far as it's just like the target is just a reduced area a, a reduced size relative size it's just smaller as you perceive it, so you're going to obviously aim and shoot a little bit more carefully. However, the added element that involved here is that hitting the no shoot is a penalty, sometimes a substantial one. And so, this is where you probably add a little, almost like a a factor, if you will, an extra layer of security or safety, a buffer, if you will. Um, to ensure you don't hit that no-shoot because, again, whereas in the hardcover examples we talked about to begin with today, uh, you put around into the hardcover, oh, well, I, I send another one until I get the shots in the target that I need to. But in the case of a no-shoot, we don't have that level of forgiveness and the liability and the risk is much higher. So it's still a similar strategy. However, we have to give ourselves a little bit more of a built-in buffer to ensure that we stay within, you know, this margin of safety, if you will, to reduce the likelihood of making a mistake and putting a round into the no-shoot. So what that might mean is I might actually aim a little, I might bias my aiming point a little bit more to one side away from the no-shoot. It might just mean that I'm even more careful and deliberate, and maybe that, you know, takes a little bit more time as I seek a little bit greater Confirmation in my sights, um, things of that nature. Uh, but the point is, and I, I don't. Again, I don't. When I'm shooting in a match and I have no shoot targets, I don't try to let that trip me up too much mentally or emotionally. I'd still look at it as a hey, my target instead of being this, it's this now. Okay, it. I I could shoot that target if it was a, if it was a full target and it was 25 yards away. No big deal. The problem is, is while I can miss left and right and high, I'm using the example of you know a. A no shoot that's placed below, say the target, I can miss left, right, or high, no problem. That's that's not a big deal. I mean, I, I'll just send another one if I need to. But I cannot miss low. I cannot miss low. Or in the case of if my no shoot was to the left, I cannot miss left. It just cannot happen, right? And so um, you have to take that into account, and that might mean that I aim. You know, I shift my aim point. A little bit further away from that no shoot, um, usually not a lot for me. But that's going to be dependent, I think, on the individual skill and their level uh, of their level of skill, but also level of comfort and confidence that they have in their ability to put a, to place around exactly where they intend to.
1: Yeah, I, I, in just to continue that thought, like. The, the the thought is is like okay well if I if I cheat away from this no shoot target well I'm cheating away from that but I'm also cheating now towards missing or going off the off my, my 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 target so yeah you have a no shoot target that's maybe obscuring partial part of your target but missing on the other end is not good either. Right. Like it's not like, well, I'd rather miss on that side. Yeah. I guess you could say if I know that there's a person here, I'd rather miss on the other side, provided that there's not a no shoot target behind your target. Right. Like we're not just talking about rounds that pass through a target, but people behind your target that if you miss on this side now. So this is where, like, I really enjoyed or I, I appreciate it, I guess is a better word, um, that you use the movement it, it piece. And, you t- you know, you mentioned about offsetting these no-shoot targets at, at a distance in front because now it's it, – I, I don't want to say it's more realistic because, like you said, every, every situation is different, but – in in the real world, it's it's we have to be concerned about three dimensions of of, of what's behind the target, what's to the to the side, and things are going to change. And I'm not in a you know I, the the rules aren't you have to shoot from this point. Like I can move, I can close the distance, I can move you know I can move to cover, I could I could change my angle where now i I have a whole threat that I can shoot at and I don't have somebody behind it or in front of it. So it's like, I, I, I kind of like it as if you look at it as like trying to solve a, a shooting problem with, uh, you know, with angles and, and things and looking at the whole thing. And obviously you can't do that in the moment if you're concerned about how do I draw the gun? How do I, you know, squeeze, you know, squeeze the trigger? What are my sights look like? You can't do that. You, so I think maybe it was last last couple episodes. I can't remember when we talked about like automaticity and all that. Like that's why that kind of stuff, the the technical aspect of shooting, or you know, uh, it, it needs to be a certain level of automaticity, so you don't have to think of that, and and then you can solve the problem of dimensions of targets and no shoot and cover and movement and all these things as it's unfolding before you you'll you'll come out with a much better you know you might come out with a much more high percentage shot if you're able to think and move and do those things so um I think that's like the one of the benefits I think that I saw in in this whole drill and kind of as as you were you know talking about about that in, 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 putting these targets at different distances. And, and frankly, like you could even put them at different, at different elevations or heights, right? Because sometimes you might have different, ele- you know, threats at a different elevation or, or somebody at a, a, you know, a no shoot that's in front of the target. But, you know, so um, it, 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 you can, you can you can change this many different ways to, to um, provide you with different views and and get your mind thinking about how do I solve this? Yeah.
0: Before we go any further um, I should recognize uh, one of our episode sponsors today is LASR that is laser activated shot reporter software. Uh, If you've been listening to us for any amount of time or paying attention to the shooter rate challenges for any amount of time, you, you should Be familiar with LASR for sure. Uh, Laserapp.com is our website, LASRAPP.com. This is the software we use that uh, not only records hits on target in dry fire practice, through the use of a laser, you know, some kind of laser device uh, as part of your gun. Uh, We, you know, sell a laser dot trainer through readyupgear.com. It's one of our uh, uh, sub-brands, and that works really well. You can use a cool fire trainer. You can use a cert pistol. Any number of those training tools that uh, implement laser activation as part of the dry fire process and the laser app software so the use of a webcam on your mobile device, iPad, iPhone, Android phone or tablet, uh, computer with a webcam, laptop, etc. Laser app will record those hits and where those were on target. But more, eh, I think more importantly, because I think the, 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 I mean, the hits on target are important, but the time is what's really cool because the time is hard to record in dry fire. Traditionally, we use, a, we use a shot timer with par times, and we have to be honest with ourselves: of did I do the thing within the set par time or not? And so it's hard to know whether you actually achieved it or not because you have to be really, you know, paying close attention. But laser app software records your, not only your hits but also the time that those hits occurred within. And that is valuable training data that you can get in your dry fire practice. Go to laserapp.com today. Consider signing up for either their laser classic software or for the laser X version, which is what I like to use. Highly encourage it, laserapp.com. Matthew, to pick up where kind of you were at, um, talking about you know not only no shoots, for instance, that are, say, in front of a target, Uh, But let's talk about no-shoots beyond the target or things beyond a target that we need to be aware of that we don't want to shoot, right? And so uh, one thing that I do appreciate a lot about IDPA competition is that they allow shoot-throughs, whereas USPSA does not. That means in USPSA, you can't have any targets anywhere on a course of fire where, well, it's not quite true can have shoot throughs in the case of a no shoot Um, as far as like you can put a brown into a no shoot and it can pass through and hit a target behind it Um, but uh, you can't have shoot targets where a bullet goes through a shoot target and then passes beyond and hits another target whether a shoot or no shoot target but in, in IDPA competition you could do that you could have a target you know where you're supposed to shoot it, right? But the act of shooting it in this position, let's say, means that bullet will pass through and has a high likelihood of, say, hitting a no shoot beyond it. And that's kind of, I think, that's really a really valuable uh, approach uh, in that in that type of competition shooting. Um, and so, a lot of times in, in those instances, you have to be aware of, okay, where are my no shoots at, and then. You got to p- be considering angles and positions, and and perhaps elevation changes. Because yeah, maybe I shoot it, maybe I take a knee and shoot it from a uh, lower position because that changes the angle just enough, and and so on and so forth. So so there's all these considerations, and that I think is is pretty applicable to you know quote unquote the real world. And so uh, I appreciate the way IDPA approaches that, and actually I think USPSA could be could be benefited. By allowing something like that as well, personally speaking. but anyway, um, here's the thing. again, a no threat or no shoot or yeah, a non-threat or no shoot target that is beyond our intended target, uh, whether it be from a pass-through, which is not ideal, although probably less of a concern provided you using quality, modern, expanding ammunition in today's world which you know i I don't think we're as concerned now as we maybe used to be about pass-throughs and even when bullets do pass through they likely don't have enough energy to severe at least severely injure or kill another person Um, it's possible right but but less likely than it used to be but the big thing that we're concerned about are misses or periphery hits you know maybe a, a round that misses the the main trunk of the body maybe wings them in, in the side slightly maybe it goes through their arm right that that could be an issue right and so we do need to be thinking about what's in front of what's beyond what's around our targets super super valid thing again I mentioned the match where we had uh, no shoots in you know that were three feet five feet maybe six feet sometimes in front of your shoot targets, and that made the angles really interesting. It was really good practice. Uh, required a lot of spatial and visual awareness so that uh, you made good decisions and um, didn't shoot at the wrong time. Uh, so that was really good. This is something you could do in your own practice. You can even do this in dry fire practice. You know, one thing that's a simple setup, maybe, maybe you are the type of person, because most people probably do this, where they put targets on a wall, right? Right. But one thing I've seen like Jacob do, for instance, is he has these simple, cheap, easy to build little PVC stands. Okay. So he he made these, you know, they got a little simple base, like a one foot by one foot dimensioned, uh, you know, box made out of PVC pipe and fittings. Uh, One of those though has a T fitting for an upright. Okay. And then he just has a PVC pipe that goes upright and you can put a dry fire target right on that. And so you could actually set up instead of just having all your targets be on a wall, all on, you know, at the same distance, if you will, you know, a lot of times we change up this distance, um, at least perceptually by making the target smaller or bigger, you know, we can print targets smaller or whatever and make it appears a little farther, but we can also, Maybe make a simple, inexpensive, maybe costs seven bucks in PVC pipe and fittings from your local hardware store and make little mini target stands that you could put uh, dry fire targets on and put them kind of out in front of your targets that are on the wall and create a little bit more dimension, a little bit more space uh, and and make it so those angles start to become a little bit more critical. What do you think of something like that, Matthew?
1: Yeah, I I mean, and I, I... I hate to be like, you know, beating the the same drum over and over, but it is it 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 is important not to get sucked into like designing something one way and running through it the same way every time. There is because it it, you know you you need to have I, I believe, and this is just my opinion, um, so take it for what it's worth, guys, but and girls if you're listening, but um you need to engage your brain in what you're doing it can't just be like i'm just practicing like i'm just going to go through the motions and get better because yeah technically you might get better but you have to start looking at how does this all come together in what i'm trying to do use it for like if you're just doing competitive competition shooting then i you know like train solely for competitive shooting, if you're, if you're going, and I'm not saying that they don't cross over, I, please don't like mistake what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you have to start looking at these as problems that are, are potentially, how does it, how do I take this c- competitive thing and place it in a mall? You know, you have Eli Dickin or, or, or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I take this and I make it as practically appropriate in, in reality, not that it doesn't cross over, but like, I don't want to just game my, my mind into thinking that I I've achieved this level of skill because I can draw and get this, you know, first shot on target, or I can run this array. And then you're faced with something that throws a little wrench in your plan and you can't, you can't problem solve. And so, you know, you'll, you'll see this especially on force and force, like where somebody, if they just moved offline, if they just closed the distance, there was like a piece of cover right there. And you didn't even move to it. Like you didn't see it because you're, you you never looked at a shooting problem, you know, with movement and dimension forward and back. You looked at it as, well, those are my targets and this is how I shoot. I'm not saying it's just because they come from a competitive world. I'm not saying that at all. Most of those guys are, are, are fantastic at, at, you know, problem solving on the fly and thinking, I'm saying if you, all you do is line up a set of targets one dimensionally, you shoot them. Yeah, that's, that's great. You're, you're practicing and, and, and that's fantastic. Um, but we got to start moving it to a thinking where we're actually using our brain to problem solve and, and, and how can I make my dry fire as realistic as possible? That's what they're doing with the competitive stuff. As you're saying, it's like, yeah, they could just set no shoot targets right in front of it. They could have a hard cut, but like they're thinking, like, how can we make this more complex? So people have to think, okay, let's, let's offset this. Let's, you know, set this back and, and that causes angles. And then now you're thinking. And I think that those are, those are fantastic things. Um, that like you said, you can do that in dry fire, um, and keep your dry fire interesting, challenge you, get you thinking. So it's not just a rote, like, you know this yeah. is the this is how I think my my defensive gun use is gonna go like it I don't think that that's setting you up for the maximum success
0: yeah yeah those those are great thoughts uh, before we get uh you know and we're kind of starting we're on the back side of this, today's episode, but uh before going any further, today's episode I mentioned all, earlier is also sponsored by barrel block uh, that is barrel block with a with a k. Uh, as in B A R R E L B L O K dot For your safe dry fire training tool, we encourage you to check out barrel block. Uh, use whether it's a nine millimeter, 380, 40 caliber, 357 sig, 45 ACP, and also 223. We've got a barrel block for most of your common calibers that people are using today for dry fire purposes. Uh, check it out barrelblock.com. This is a simple plastic injection molded tool that you insert from your ch- through your chamber all the way through the barrel. gives you a visual indicator as it passes through the barrel, the muzzle end, letting you know, or anyone else around that might be observing you do dry fire practice, your family members, et cetera, your coworkers perhaps. I mean, we work in an environment where dry fire is encouraged. So use a barrel block. You can see clearly it's blocked, that it's made safe, that it's impossible for a round to get Inserted into the chamber at that point and have a negligent discharge. Uh, we know negligent discharges happen frequently by people conducting themselves in dry fire practice unsafely. So be a bit safer today. We encourage safe follow you know, following of the rules of course of firearm safety. But use a barrel block for that extra layer of protection and safety and peace of mind. Barrelblock.com. So as we begin to kind of wind this one down a little bit, Matthew, um, just to touch on you know some of the things like what you were saying a moment ago, and and also this was covered a little bit in the uh, Shooter Rate Challenge video itself that I filmed. Um, it, I, I think I'm going to try to do a, a better job of treating my dry fire practice the way I often treat my live fire practices. And by that I mean – what you saw in this example is I had these four targets set up in you know an array, and you can change up target arrays. Like that's that's not a bad thing at all. In fact, encouraged. Thing is though, is changing up target arrays. This is true in live fire. Uh, if you have the option of being able to go to a range and have a bay to yourself, and you set up multiple targets and you've got them in different you know various positions or whatever. Every time I go to change up target locations and positions, it takes me time and time, you know, that time is time taken away from my practice time. And so a lot of times I set up a series of targets, a target array, maybe a mini stage. And I try to maximize my time and be the most efficient I can in like, let's say I put up four targets, kind of like what I had in this dry fire arrangement in in the shoot rate challenge video And you just leave the target arrays alone. But then find at least three, if not more, different ways you can shoot that target array. And that's where it gets, you know, hugely valuable because uh, you can, you know, set up things once and just keep working, you know, that that setup. But work it from different angles, from different approaches. You know, when I do this in sort of a match prep uh, type setup, uh, like if I'm practicing more for competition type shooting instead of something maybe a little bit more defensive oriented, um, although I'm not exactly sure what that means because both of those are probably not all that different in my world. but um, what i what I would do is set up you know targets in whatever configuration I want, right? And then I would have I would identify a couple of different positions that I want to hit from a movement perspective, like I want to get to here. I want to get to there. I want to get to there, you know, and these targets I'm shooting from that position, those targets I'm shooting from that position, these targets I'm shooting on the move, for instance. Well, then what you could do is then have, you can run it a bunch of different ways. You can run that little mini stage where you start in, say the back left position, and then you shoot the targets as you progress your way forward and, or perhaps to the right. Um, And then I could start in the back right position and do the same thing, and then I could start in the front left, and that would be an example of a stage where now I have some some movement that's uh, retreating movement instead of constantly always you know moving forward. Um, So that makes it kind of interesting and different, right? I could start in the front left. I could start in the front right. I could start in the front middle. I could start in the back middle. I could start in just the dead center of, you know, I've got these four positions, let's say, and there you know, two are behind me, two are in front of me, where some of this stage, I'm going to have some retreating movement and some forward movement. So the point is, is I like to maximize my practice time and set targets up a certain way and then try to shoot it three, four, five, six different ways. And then each time you shoot it, it's going to be a little bit different and the targets are going to present a little bit differently. And so you see things differently. And that has immense value because in the real world, every time you're involved in something, it's going to be different. You're never going to see something that looks exactly the same. And so part of becoming a well-rounded, experienced shooter and or self-defender is to have enough exposures to a variety of situations that you sort of build this database where you might not always see the same thing twice in a row or twice ever, but you'll see enough things that are similar enough that the brain goes, ah, this reminds me of that one time. Ah, this reminds me of that time. I've got the requisite skills and tools in my toolbox because I've done a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, and this does not phase me one bit because it reminds me of something I've already done and already practiced
1: yeah yeah and i agree and and i um i hope what i was saying didn't come across as saying like that competitive shooters aren't good not uh, at all in in the real world at all i i I think what i'm what i was saying is exactly what you're saying is that like we in and i i think not all i I think that playing competitive like (laughs) let me let me backtrack and just say like saying competitive shooters in general is painting competitive shooting in way too broad of a brush. I mean, certainly there's different calibers of competitive shooting, not just competitive shooters, right? Like there's competitive shooting. That's very um, engaging and in, in more, more akin to um, you know, self-defense oriented shooting versus pure, just competitive shooting. Right. So um, I think, you know, my, my, I don't want to paint competitive shooting all in the same brush. There, what I what I think I'm I, I trying to differentiate is between like um, using your brain to solve a problem, a shooting problem, and including potentially no shooting, um, paying attention to your backstop, paying attention to not shooting, you know, misses actually counting and not just saying like, well, you missed, you just don't get a point. Actually misses might end up you know, hurting you, uh, being punitive, um, and, and using your brain and trying to, like you said, give your brain enough different pictures and visions of sites or your site picture on different targets at different distances and moving and angles and understanding what are your capabilities at different distances and angles and things. Um, so that when you are presented this, this array of targets or this stage, and you've never seen it before. You didn't get to look at it. You didn't get to go through it and say, I want to do this, or I want to start here. Or, I want to like, when it's just there, you can start pulling from your experience through going through all these different things and apply it the best way and come out with the best solution at the end that, that works. Not just a solution that wins the, the gunfight, but one that wins it in a way that reduces the as much as you can you know, you taking shots that you don't maybe necessarily need to take difficulty-wise, maybe by just moving or whatever. So that's kind of like where I was going with that.
0: No, I, I got it, dude. Um, I don't even care if you, I mean, people can disparage competitive shooting or competitive shooters they want. It's fine. Um, doesn't really hurt my feelings that bad. Although, you know, I actually, I you know, I'll share something with you really quick that was interesting to me. Um, You know, one of the reasons I got so involved in competition shooting and like really pushing the performance envelope for me was because I wanted, you know, we've talked about this. I wanted to get to where my gun handling and my shooting could be a subconscious process, you know, as much as possible, right? So that the brain is more or less freed up for processing the situation, the information that's, you know, like what's taking place and making decisions. And recently, I was involved in a, in a being able to try out a prototype uh, system that it's a live fire training system that is uh, encourages decision making um, while you know engaging a target, if you or, or targets actually can be set up with multiple targets. Uh, the way to think of it, it would be like a shot timer, but you have certain visual signals that that are paired with different um, actions or action decisions. So shoot, don't shoot, issue verbal command, do something else entirely, et cetera, okay? Uh, including visual uh, indicators that would say the target that I was shooting is now considered eliminated, okay? And even that it's in itself is its own decision of, oh, this is done and over with and I stop shooting now, right? Uh as someone that people have come to know more as a competitive shooter than as a defensive guy, don't forget where you know I started. I started more on the defensive side, right? Um, I pursued competition shooting in, in an effort and a desire to push my shooting to a higher level, which it has done. And the, using this system, which was, I, I got the opportunity to watch uh, other people use it and kind of see how they handled themselves while being faced with all this visual information and decision making, paired with making decisions with a gun in hand and shooting or not shooting and so forth. Uh, I, I recognized that I did very, very, very well in running through that system. And I think it's only because my shooting was able to just happen when it needed to happen. So I was completely non-stressed uh i was excited because it was cool to you know try out this new prototype system but i wasn't stressed it was so i was purely just watching the visual indicators processing the information oh that that light or whatever lit up i'm not trying to give away too much here because i don't know how much i'm allowed to, to talk about the system but like oh that happened and so now i draw okay and you know there was even decisions where it was you know, draw and challenge the target, not even, you know, point at them yet or shoot them yet. Just, just draw the gun and issue verbal commands like stop, you know, show your hands, that kind of thing. Right. And uh, I did really well going through that, a couple of different scenarios. Uh, and I was pleased to take that away, you know, to go, ah, you know, just a bit of a confidence booster and also a confidence booster just in knowing that. Uh, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I've wondered myself, like, have I gone too far in, into the competition thing? Um, am perfectly happy with where I'm at. And, uh, anyway, with respect to today, um, I will say that during one of those f- scenarios that I was going through with that system, that we were encouraged to shoot a target that was not all that big, uh. That also wasn't a problem for me because I utilized the skills I've built in practicing shooting hardcover and partial targets, including no-shoot targets like we've talked about today. Uh, Practice this This is a good thing because it, it'll help inoculate you stress-wise as far as, okay, no big deal. My target's only yay big because it's partially hidden behind a wall. Or, oh, hey, my target's only, you know, this this big and I've got an innocent party, you know, a no-shoot target that I've got to be considering and taking into account and making sure I'm extra careful or cautious or whatever, right? Uh, Practice even in your dry fire. That's why I made these dry fire targets available for free on concealedcarry.com forward slash print targets. So you can go print these, practice these partial target engagements and get better at this thing. Add this to your wheelhouse. So you're not just shooting wide open targets all the time. Because that's not necessarily what you will always face in the real world,
1: Matthew. Yeah. And, final thoughts. And, and, uh, I'll just throw this out for you know, because and, and we've talked about this a lot of times, and I know that this is one aspect that that also is a benefit of shooting at these these targets with reduced size is that like, or reduced uh, impact area is that like or you know area you can you can actually hit is that like it keeps you honest from just shooting a target that's close and just blasting away at it because of its proximity to you. Like it actually forces you to look at the available hit area and, 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 and in doing so narrowing your vision to a specific point on the target, rather than just saying like, I have this huge hit zone. Like, yes, that, that there's a time and place for that, but this can help, I think, also start getting you, um, showing you the importance of picking out a place on that target especially when you know that there is only a small area and like you said earlier it's it's the same problem as if you know vision is if the target was farther away and it's a small area but i think sometimes proximity wise we can we can just see a close up target and just think we can blast away and it might not always be the 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 solution so yep.
0: i agree good thoughts man that's a good place to wrap it up for today folks thank you for your support of the podcast uh, as always if you want to reach out to us you can find us at podcast at concealed that's our email hotline podcast at concealed com feel free to message us with comments questions suggestions etc also feel free to uh, follow us on social media go to concealed go to Facebook look for concealed carry Facebook page that, that, that's Literally, what you type concealed carry, and we should come up. That's the title of the page on Instagram, Concealed Carry Inc, uh, and other uh, places as well. You can find us on Twitter. I think that's still USA Firearm Training, which is our old handle way back in the day. But anyway, hope to see you around. Um, and if you're watching us on on YouTube, feel free to subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss more episodes in the future. Look forward to being back here again next week. Uh, we are doing an episode in fact next week i should be seeing you in ohio matthew so yes maybe we do a in-person recording Uh, of the podcast (laughs) yeah
1: maybe we'll do that that's cool
0: (laughs) we'll see how that goes well until next time folks a reminder to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care